The following is a fourth-hand production. Hey there, I'm Tara. And I'm Jessica. And together we co-host the podcast Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal. Or murder. Join us on Mondays for full-length episodes where we discuss our favorite paranormal stories and true crime cases. And join us again on Thursdays for our mini-sodes called Stabby Snippets, where we tell you all about true crimes happening in the news. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, wherever the hell else you listen to your pods at. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by using the handle at 3 Girls. Come and hang out with us and get your spooky on while we scare the hell out of you. Another fun-filled, fantastical episode of my favorite show, State of Fear Podcast. I'm your host, Chris. With me, as always, my right-hand man, who is... What's your name again, buddy? My name is James. That's right. I had That's it right. on the tip of my tongue. How many times do I have to tell you that? Every time, actually. Every do single time. I have time. to wear a freaking name tag, dude? That would be helpful, actually. All yes. Right. Please do that. Name tag every single time. You've been to my house every Thursday for the past year and a half. I still forget your name. <laughs> Nah, just kidding. That's my boy James. We are here for another fun episode. Tonight's episode is 24. Episode 24. The fantastical state of Mississippi. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Oh, you messed it up already. I did. Take two, try it again. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Bam, there you go. All right, before we get into the topic, let's go ahead and discuss a few interesting facts about the state of Mississippi. Oh, one brutal fact that I personally... I can't stand this stuff. Root beer was invented in Biloxi in 1898 by Edward Adolph Bark. Nice. I love root beer. Root beer is great. Yum, yum, yum. Root beer floats. Love it. Cream soda for me. Thank you. Okay. Well, that's close enough. No root beer. (laughs) Uh, The state is named after the Mississippi River. The native word for the river coined by the Ojibwa tribe was Mississippi, which means big river. Big River. Not Old Man River, Big River. Some, yeah, I need <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, and one of my favorite forms of music, 
The Delta Blues music. The blues. Born in Mississippi. One of my favorite and most iconic blues musicians, of course. There are uh-huh. several. God, there's so many. Yes. Uh, I don't know them all by name, but I know a handful. But my one of my favorites is the one, the only... Robert Johnson, who Robert actually Johnson. infamously made his deal with the devil mm-hmm. in the state of Mississippi at the crossroads. That's right, yeah. I also love Muddy Waters. Okay. John Lee Hooker. All right. The Blues Brothers. The Blues <laughs> Brothers. Man. There are tons of blues musicians out there. I just love that music. The style is it's slamming. Great. Yeah, blues love is a great it. form of music. Yeah, I love listening to the blues. Another uh, another interesting fact is, uh, according to a 2011 report by the Mississippi Forestry Commission, 63% of the state's land is in, is covered in forest, which amounts to 19.5 million acres. Sweet, that's amazing. That we need we need all those trees to live. Yes, and I did mingle amongst trees when I was uh, when I was in the army. Mm-hmm. Uh, my PLDC and BNOC school. That's Basic non-commissioned officer school for okay, thank you. people who don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, PLDC, Primary Leadership Development Course. I was already a sergeant when I went, but these are the courses that you learn to be a better NCO, how to lead your men, train, blah, blah, blah. Gotcha. My, those two classes, when I took them, were in Camp Shelby, Mississippi. Cool. So you've been very, there. Right. Very interesting place. The land navigation course was a bear. I mean, it was nasty because oh, really? you had to climb over stuff. And I found out that I could fly. See, I've always had curiosity about my origins as a Kryptonian. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So for those who don't know, James is a gigantic, huge Superman, Superman fan. Freak. Love Superman it. fan. I mean, love from, it. Yeah. So everything, from everything it. Superman. Yep. So what I was doing, I'll just I'll make this quick. What Go I was ahead. doing one time, I, uh, during the land nav, of course, I was climbing over this stack of logs. Okay. And I literally fell chest deep into these logs, and right. Mississippi is famous for snakes. Oh, Lord. So I didn't know what was down in there. Right. I wasn't sticking around. Nope. I literally I come either. up out of that hole. I jumped up out that damn hole. I don't know how I did it. Adrenaline rush, whatever. Oh. But I flew up out of that damn hole. <laughs> so you were the inspiration for that scene in Man of Steel where he's bending down on one knee, and then he jumps up and he flies he up. jumps up, but That's then he you. crashed. Because I did fall. You did fall. Okay. I did jump, but then I jumped so hard, I went up over the top of the logs and tumbled down the other side, laughing. Didn't yeah. get, didn't really get hurt or anything. Well, that's good, but it was kind of a cool thing. But also, didn't like, get bit fly. by a snake. I didn't get bit by no snakes. No, nope. that's true. Legendary puppeteer Jim Henson was born in Greenville and spent his childhood in Leland, Mississippi. Absolutely loved that man's. Work. Oh, Jim Henson is amazing. Fantastic. Him and Mister Rogers, man, made my childhood. Yes, sir. The town still honors Henson's Mississippi roots with the birthplace of Kermit the Frog Museum and the Rainbow Connection Bridge. That is amazing. I love that. I can't do a Kermit the Frog, but yay! Yeah. <laughs> Flapping my arms. No. Pine saw. Another interesting fact. A product I have used many times myself mm-hmm. and is some strong stuff. Yes, it is. Anti-funk, anti-whatever. Pine saw, the cleaning and deodorizing product, was developed in 1929 by chemist Harry A. Cole, who lived in a pine forest near Jackson, Mississippi. Interesting. So Jackson I've been to many times. Now, while Coca-Cola was invented in Atlanta in 1866, it was sold only as a fountain drink for nearly 30 years. But Joseph Biedenharn decided to bottle the drink for the first time in 1894 at a plant in Vicksburg, Mississippi. In your face, Alabama. That's right, Atlanta, not Alabama, Atlanta. In your face, Atlanta. That's right. 
Now, here's a very, very interesting <laughs> and kind of creepy fact. In the 1940s, the town of Pascagoula had a hard time figuring out the mystery of the bizarre phantom barber. The serial hair snipper would break into homes to steal locks of hair and slip away into the night. That's just creepy as hell. It is. When it was all said and done, a man named William Dolan was caught and charged with attempted murder. Really? For cutting hair? But after serving six years of his 10-year sentence, he passed lie detector test and was set free. Um, we may have to look in to see if there's more to that story. If there is, that may be a future Mississippi episode. That would be, yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's just some strange that stuff right weird, there. That is some weird, weird true crime stuff that's going on. That's some true off-the-cuff stuff. But first, before we get into the uh, main story, let's go ahead and get into your weird news of the day. Right. Today's news story was published on June 22nd of 2020. All right. Another Here recently. just recently. All right. Very nice. Title of this story is Archaeologists May Have Finally Solved the Mystery of What Happened to Roanoke. Written by Marco Margaritoff. Nice. I'm very, <laughs> very interested to see what the story says because I, do ha- I don't have a deep understanding of Roanoke, but I have enough to know what happened and I love the story. So let's hear it. It is very cool. In 1590, every settler in the colony of Roanoke suddenly vanished without a trace, which is in North Carolina now. An archaeological study has turned up thousands of artifacts that may prove what happened to them. What had happened to Roanoke has puzzled historians for decades. Sir Walter Raleigh founded the colony in 1587, but the settlement ended after all of its residents mysteriously vanished in 1590. UFO. Yep. Bigfoot. <laughs> the only clue the settlers at Roanoke left behind was the word Croatone, the original name of Hatteras Island. It was found carved into a fence post in the abandoned colony. While that discovery sparked a popular theory that the English settlers had left the colony for the island, archaeologist Scott Dawson's decades-long excavation work has potentially proven it to be true. Is this finally the solution to the Roanoke mystery? What happened to Roanoke? According to the Outer Banks, Scott Dawson is particularly suited to investigate what happened to the colony of Roanoke. How many times are they going to say it in one article? What, Roanoke? Yeah. Roanoke. 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 <laughs> He's not only an island native whose family roots go back to the 1600s, but an experienced archaeologist who serves as president of the Croatone Archaeological Society, a group exclusively dedicated to this historical incident. His new book, The Lost Colony and Hatteras Island, posits that the, quote, lost colony was really never lost. There was simply not enough archaeological evidence to back up the most rational theory about what happened to Roanoke. Until now. According to Heritage Daily, local volunteers and professional archaeologists began excavations on Hatteras Island in 2009. They discovered copper rings, sword handles, earrings, writing slates, and glass dating to the 16th century and traced to England. 
Quote, as much as I believe the colony went down to Hatteras, I never actually thought we were going to find it, he said. I can't believe we found what we found. It's kind of surreal. Professor Mark Horton, who helped Dawson in the excavations, explained that the Roanoke mystery was likely a natural dispersion. In other words, everybody got the hell out of Dodge. They gone. Peace. Quote, when these colonies became abandoned, you got massive political eruptions and disagreements and people walking out and things, he said. Sounds familiar. <laughs> so it's not unlikely that one group might have gone up the Chesapeake, up the Albemarle. But I'm pretty confident one group, at least, probably the pretty substantial part, came to the Hatteras Island. The experts believe they finally found the survivors' camp on Hatteras, where the colonists settled before assimilating with the Native Americans whom Horton believes were friendly. It's a good place with one's allies in place where you could potentially be rescued. The research made a giant leap in 2013 when experts dug through the layers of dirt in old Native American villages like Buxton, Frisco, and Hatteras and found evidence that the colonists had settled on the latter. Quote, we not only found evidence of mixed architecture of houses, but also metallurgy where they had blacksmith shops and were also working in copper and lead, and this continued right into the 1600s, said Dawson. It's hard to say how many, but a few dozen at least lived for a few decades down there in the villages and continued to work in metals. They found several gun parts, which were mixed and matched with pieces from other guns, as the stranded settlers couldn't procure new parts. Earrings and wires were turned into fish hooks, and many other objects were repurposed for more practical uses. To understand how remarkable this recent discovery spanning thousands of Roanoke artifacts really is, look 400 years back in time when the mystery began. The lost colony of Roanoke famed British explorer Sir Walter Riley tried to establish the first permanent English colony in North America, long before Jamestown in 1585. When his first attempt ended in failure, Raleigh tried again two years later in Roanoke, seemingly succeeding for three years. Raleigh had an approved corporate charter to found the city of Raleigh on Roanoke Island in 1587. About 115 English men, women, and children agreed to join. Most of them were middle-class Londoners and were the first voyage that brought women and children along to the New World. Though the August 1587 journey went well, a small group led by Roanoke Colony Governor John White returned to England to gather supplies. That's a hell of a long way to go get some Rice Krispies and milk. <laughs> uh, don't Man. forget they need um, Clorox wipes, too. Clorox wipes, exactly. Yep. yep. And they found the colony abandoned when they returned in 1590. Man, that would make me mad. Oh, my gosh. I've been gone. I, I sail all the way home to get the groceries. I come back, and y'all are gone. I've been gone only three years, and y'all are gone. What happened? Man, I'm tell you what, man. Only one clue. The word Croatone carved into a wooden post met White upon his return. The Croatones were a purportedly friendly tribe that lived on Hatter's Island. Before John White even left the colony, they were already hand-in-glove with the Croatones anyhow, said Dawson. So when he told them to write down where they were going, and he saw that message three years later, he didn't say, oh my God, what does this word mean? He knew exactly where that was and why they were there, and he said so. Despite this clear clue, it would take approximately 400 years until archaeologists could trace the settlers at Roanoke back to Hatter's Island. 
Before this investigation, Dawson was frustrated that nobody had investigated Hatter's Island before to uncover what happened to Roanoke. I saw a lot of artifacts coming up when people were building houses or sometimes from erosion from storms. It gutted me to see that no one was doing anything about it. That would piss me off, too. Yeah. So he formed the Croatoan Archaeological Society and vowed to find evidence of the colonists on Hatteras. He believed the colonists didn't even know they were quote-unquote lost and simply relocated while awaiting the returning troop with new supplies. That's funny. So they they, they weren't actually lost, or they didn't know they were lost. They didn't know they were lost. People were like, where'd they go? And they're over on the island like... What are you talking about? We're right here. Exactly. I just, I'm waiting for my Rice Krispies. That's right. And my Clorox wipes. That's right. Quote, we didn't get this kind of lost mythology until the Lost Colony play production at Waterside Theater started in the 30s, said Dawson. That's the first time anybody ever referred to them as lost. It didn't make a play about a mystery. They created a mystery with a play. As it stands, Dawson and his team hope to investigate what happened to the Roanoke colony further until the global COVID-19 pandemic put things on hold. For now, the results of this ongoing study were compiled in Dawson's book, with more research to be done once things have stabilized. I would love to visit that. Oh, I know. That sounds awesome. It sounds like a fun place. It does. But that is our story for today, my brother. So It's so funny because um, I went to visit a friend of mine in North Carolina a while back. And when I was there, I was asking her about the Roanoke Colony, and she had, and this was like in 2013, I want to say, mm-hmm. she had mentioned that everybody there believed exactly what this archaeologist was saying. They said they believed that they just integrated with the Native Americans in order to yeah. survive the winter, and that they became part of them. Gotcha. And and so that's that's what he's finding here now. So what they believed back then it probably is the actual, you know, what happened to them. Sounds good. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Sweet. Pretty neat, man. Like it. Today's episode in Mississippi is going to cover the Macritus outbreak, a curious case of mass hysteria or possible government cover-up. Uh, wouldn't yeah, doubt it. I know where you stand. Wouldn't doubt it. It's always their fault. Mississippi has had its fair share of urban legends. However, the strangest is the Macritus outbreak of the 1950s. Now, according to local lore, Macritus was an infectious disease that, among other things, Transform women into homicidal maniacs. Okay, and this is news. <laughs> <laughs> like any other urban legend, there's no proof the outbreak ever occurred, but that doesn't make the unusual tale any less intriguing. No, it does not. If you would look up Macritus online, you wouldn't find much about it. However, if you're from Mississippi, you've probably heard older relatives mention it. Because according to legend, men could get Macritus by ingesting large amounts of lead from paint or some other source. So it's yeah. a lead-based uh, psych- psychosis, apparently. It's like a metal poisoning, I guess. Yeah. It's also rumored to be quickly covered up by the government. Of course! Because of the government's alleged... Governments? Because of the government's alleged cover-up, you'll find that most of the stories regarding Macritus 
are taken from friends of friends who had a cousin who knew someone affected by the disease. Uh, of course. The disease would then cause him to secrete a chemical that, in turn, caused nearby women to, quote, descend into a homicidal rage, end quote. That just oh, don't sound right. So it's just Axe body spray. I guess. That's <laughs> something. Women that were unusually loving and friendly would instantly become irrational and erratic. Allegedly, the first case of macritis occurred in Europe. Thank you, Europeans. It all began when a local man was chased by a dozen women through his seaside village. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. In a desperate attempt to evade them, he jumped into water with temperatures well below freezing. Without hesitation or regard for their own safety, the women followed. Wow. Man, he must have really screwed up. He, I, I'm, I'm I'm guessing 12 mistresses here, and they all found out the same tea party. That's kind of what I'm thinking, too. Then he walked in. He's like, hi, honey. I'm, oh, shit. I'm, and then, bam, <laughs> he's gone like that. Just gone. But then again, they were, I mean, why would they jump into the water with him unless they were, they had to have some sort of actual psychosis going on to just they, jump they in the water with him. They were going to drown that fool. It said that he and all of the female attackers drowned in the icy waters. that's just funny to me i know in the 1950s an outbreak allegedly hit a small town in the mississippi the name of which was promptly covered up dun 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 of course it was in this town several men contracted the illness through the ingestion of nearly lethal doses of lead now i can kind of believe this happened because lead poisoning can cause you oh, to absolutely absolutely can. insane there was no environmental control back no, it then. was in everything they dumped toys they dump, it was on the walls they dumped shit everywhere yeah shortly afterwards a large number of women from the town descended into a homicidal rage <laughs> they swept through the st- I, i'm gonna laugh every time i'm sorry folks <laughs> it's fine. just funny to me they swept through the streets destroying property all on a quest to chase down and murder every man they could find. That's a bad day to be a man in that town. <laughs> I'm like, Holy damn. cow. In the wake of the outbreak, this small Mississippi town was almost devastated. No one would ever know for sure the extent of the property damage or how many people died as a result of the riots because, according to rumors, the federal government rushed in soon afterwards in order to hide the evidence. Which means it was a government it was a government operation of some sort that poisoned the water or whatever. If it was some local factory or something, they would have simply exposed them, fined them, busted them, or closed them down. But no, if it's the government, they gotta close it down. They gotta cover it up. I kinda I kinda believe that happened because we, we did cover, you know, a bunch of this type of stuff. This is also making our... me question the ori- the origin of drag queens because if these men were trying to get out of town. If these women were all trying to kill every man they, they saw. They were trying to hide I'm his women. On, I'm throwing on a dress and trying to sneak the hell out of town. <laughs> they were like, I'm de- yeah, I, I would or too. Or grab an like, axe and run with them. I'm like, I, I'm a woman. I'm a woman. Hello. <laughs> Let's go kill these men. Don't kill me. Um, but yeah, we just covered a whole bunch of stuff like this in the Maryland episode. We sure did. Talking about the Edgewood experiments and, and the, uh, um, what was the Tuskegee experiments? Yeah. Things like that. So this, I mean, this has a very, very good basis for being a factual event absolutely it does i I think it does yeah unable to find a cure or full explanation the medical community was also quick to cover up any trace of the outbreak why the hell would they do it though it threatened probably i'm thinking threatened interestingly enough this supposed event went on to influence the masters of horror episode the screwfly solution directed by joe dante the great great joe dante the screwfly solution yeah if you're looking for solid answers, you need only find someone who knows someone who had a cousin whose friend was there and saw it all go down. That is 
There's the essential definition of an urban legend. Absolutely it is, man. I'll tell you. <laughs> Though the Macritus outbreak is deemed an urban legend, many believe it's much more than that. One theory is that the medical community covered it up since they couldn't come up with a cure or explanation for the mysterious illness. I don't believe that. You don't think the medical community don't don't would? I don't think the medical community would unless they were under duress of some sort. You think they were threatened by the government? Pressured by the government? Because if they, if they started exposing it, then they would have started testing. They would have started researching. Then they'd have found it and tied it to some government operation that polluted the water or something like that. You know, so yeah, I would think forcibly shut down. They told them. You don't say a word here. If you do that, we're yanking your medical license. Right. We'll put you in put jail. Put you in jail for, for that's yeah, right. that's right, because you're not an American citizen if you, yep. if you do something like that. I think it's called a treason. Treasonous. Treason. Yeah. Research online produced no actual medical references to this condition, but did produce rumor, speculation, and self-promotion. Here is an account found describing the quote-unquote condition. Mercritus condition, MC, typically leads its victim down a road of trouble into a life of alienation interspersed with moments of great violence. Mercritus affects less than 1 in 10 million of the general population. It strikes males of any age and is only contracted, as far as we know, from the oral consumption of mass amounts of certain types of paint. One of the reasons Mercritus is rare is that paint consumption leads to massive organ failure and many who may have a grim chance of developing the rare disease die before MC manifests. Of course they would. Lead. The prevailing theory holds that the victim's skin, fed by secretions resident in the liver and kidneys, releases a mild odor that has an effect on women. Haruki Ryu, formerly of the Yokohama Crier and the only author of a book on the subject, loosely translated Mercritus I Run, 1968, Shayu Nye Press, said in the phone interview, quote, the scent seems to affect all women on a hormonal level that appears to alter them emotionally. Irritability and hostility tend to inhibit the milder range of reactivity. That pretty women are so hyperactivated by victims of MC has brought us to speculate on a possible relationship between hormonal activity and beauty. Hyperactivated reactions are called MAR, Mercritus Activated Rage, episodes. Why a woman with no history or pattern of violence would react so strongly to a man with MC has not been adequately studied. In a way, we're all guessing, but in defense of my book, I operate from an educated guess. And there you have it, folks. That is the tale of the maybe real, maybe fake, urban legend, possibly government cover-up. I'm still stuck on the whole paint consumption, and then you secrete this funk, which drives women into a rage to want to kill you. Again, I think this has a very real basis in the lead poisonings that happened in the 50s and 60s when people didn't realize that, you know, a lot of products were covered in lead paint. Yes, they were. You know, it gets absorbed into your skin or it gets eaten or whatever. Chips fall off and people eat it. And then it, it you know, it affects your brain. So I think yep. this has a very real uh, basis in that. Just maybe knocked up a notch to the mass hysteria type. Yeah. Yeah. The, the 50 women chasing a guy into icy water, <laughs> you know, wanting to kill him. Yeah. You know, that's that's a little far-fetched. But then again, who knows? You know, guys, you know, they mess up out there pretty good sometimes. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. 
why don't you tell the fine folks where they can find us, James? I'll be happy to. Folks, you can find us on the fourthhand.com network, along with our sister project, What the Suck. You can also find us on Twitter, and you can also find us anywhere where your podcasts are available. Go out there, give us a like, share our information, let people know we're out there. Rate us, review us, let us know what you think. Leave please. comments, yes, please. We want to hear from y'all. Also, we want to hear from y'all's personal encounters. So, if you have an encounter or a weird story that happened to you in any state, no matter what the state is, even if we've done it already, because we will be coming back around to Alabama and go forward from there, send it to us in a audio format, either MP3 or WAVE, and email it to stateoffearpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to include your name, where it happened, and the rough estimate of when it happened. And then if it's longer than 10 minutes, it may not be able to be emailed to us. But if that's the case, just send us a message, let us know, and we will arrange a way for you to send us your your story. I don't care how long it is. Uh, send it in. We want to hear all your guys' stories. Uh, we may do more than one per episode if we have enough good stories. Yep. Um, again, if we've already done the state that your encounter happened in, send it anyway because we'll get back to that state. We'll keep it and we will use it in the next time. You know, the next time we do that state, we'll definitely use it. Right. We have multiple stories for each state, so we already have like three seasons worth of of episodes planned. So. Yes, so, yeah. we do. All right, man. Well, I'm ready to get on to the next state. How about you? Yes, sir. Let's get on down the road. What do you say? All right, guys. We will see you next time. Peace out. Hey, guys. This is Julia from Always Time for True Crime. Every week, I get into a new case about murder, missing persons, and serial killers. My podcast is all about the lesser-known cases. So... If you're looking for something beyond Ted Bundy or John Bonet Ramsey, head on over to Always Time for True Crime for some new true crime stories. You can listen to Always Time for True Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Castbox, Stitcher, and more. You can listen to Always Time for True Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher, and more. Hi guys, this is Julia, the host of Always Time for True Crime. Each week, I cover a different case about murder, missing persons, or serial killers. My podcast strives to bring attention to lesser-known cases and give you guys some new true crime stories.
been listening to a fourth hand joint.